All right, please stand if you are able for a reading from God's holy word. Today's scripture reading is from Luke 6, 1 through 11. Please read with me the verses in bold. On a Sabbath, while he was going through the grain fields, his disciples plucked and ate some heads of grain, rubbing them in their hands. But some of the Pharisees said, why are you doing what is not lawful to do on the Sabbath? And Jesus answered them, have you not read what David did when he was hungry, he and those who were with him, how he entered the house of God and took and ate the bread of the presence, which is not lawful for any but the priest to eat, and also gave it to those with him. And he said to them, the son of man is Lord of the Sabbath. On another, on another Sabbath, he entered the synagogue and was teaching, and a man was there whose right hand was withered. And the scribes and the Pharisees watched him to see whether he would heal on the Sabbath, so that they might find a reason to accuse him. But he knew their thoughts, and he said to the man with the withered hand, Come and stand here. And he rose and stood there. And Jesus said to them, I ask you, is it lawful on the Sabbath to do good or to do harm, to save life or to destroy it? And after looking around at them, all he said to him, stretch out your hand, and he did so, and his hand was restored. But they were filled with fury and discussed with one another what they might do to Jesus. This is the word of the Lord. Well, good morning. My name is Brad. I'm uh, also a pastor here at Grace and doing my best to ride Daniel's coattails to stardom. <laughs> Welcome. Uh, we're in a sermon series uh, this fall on the book of Luke. And today, uh, a couple of passages we've selected to try to look at uh, the ongoing conflict that Jesus had with religious leaders of his time. We won't get a chance to look at every conflict, uh, but these today in Luke chapter 6. Conflicts about the Sabbath. About, uh, I'm doing the math and it's about 12 years ago. Olivia and I were uh, the, the leaders of a young adult ministry at a, at a church in the suburbs not far from here. Our daughter Flannery was two. And we led a young adult group on a mission trip. We went to uh, Madrid, which is the capital city of Spain, to visit and support some friends who were church planting. There's a few folks in the room who are actually on that trip with us. And so we had, uh, we had a toddler, two-year-old uh, daughter, and Olivia was four months pregnant with Asher, our second child. It's a 16-hour flight. Uh, from Sacramento to Madrid, or 16 hours of travel with a toddler. The city of Madrid is nine hours ahead of us in time zones. I realized as I was reading through this this morning, it sounds like a word problem on a math test. 16 hours of travel, nine hours ahead. We arrived in Madrid around 11 a.m. their time, which felt like 2 a.m. in the morning for us and our bodies, and our host said, the best thing that you can do is just to stay awake. Stay awake until after dinner tonight, and then hit the, hit the hay, and we'll, you'll be 
you'll be back on schedule for tomorrow. So we did our best uh, to stay awake for another six more hours or something uh, after we had already uh, been exhausted. Well, two things. One, I nearly fell over during an orientation meeting as we were trying to make it, right? And two, you cannot tell a toddler, you know, I'm sorry, you can't sleep. And so Flannery napped hard all afternoon and was ready to play at six or seven o'clock when we were collapsing into bed. And uh, this was a, you know, a pre-iPad world and uh, we also were fairly militant about limiting screen time to toddlers, but I specifically remember that evening a deliriously exhausted and pregnant Olivia placing a portable DVD player into the pack-and-play crib, plugged into the wall through the, through the crib and praying a prayer that sounded something like this, Dear Lord Jesus, please protect my baby. Do not let her choke. Do not let her get electrocuted. Do not let her strangle herself on this cord. And then we put on Barney the Purple Dinosaur on repeat. <laughs> and we fell unconscious. I think she watched it for like six hours. <laughs> we had decided that this was the safest decision we could make that it was safer for her to go through this than for her to try to navigate a foreign country with two exhausted parents because humans need rest. In fact, scripture commands us to rest. It's embedded in the Ten Commandments. Sometimes we forget that in there, right a little bit before, thou shalt not murder and thou shalt not steal is the fourth commandment. Remember the Sabbath day and keep it holy. Six days you shall labor and do all your work, but on the seventh day it is a Sabbath to the Lord your God. On it you shall not do any work. So the fourth commandment, uh, to keep the Sabbath, actually gets mentioned more in the Old Testament than any other commandment. Um, keeping the fourth commandment, what it means to keep the Sabbath, what it means that God designed for us to rest, is a reoccurring controversy between Jesus and the teachers of the law, as we saw in the passage this morning. And while not every confrontation that Jesus has with religious authorities is about the Sabbath, the Sabbath confrontations are a good example of how and why the message that Jesus spoke and the message that he lived and the mission that he came to do was so radical and so challenging even to the most religious people in his time. And so this morning, a sermon in three parts. Uh, part number one, you, me, and the Sabbath. Part number two, the Sabbath and the Pharisees. And part number three, Jesus, Lord of the Sabbath. Part number one, you, me, and the Sabbath. I'm going to begin by telling you some things that you already know even, if you know, even if you don't know that you know them. Research shows that overwork leads to obesity, heart disease, depression, burnout, shorter lifespans. A Harvard uh, medical school study showed that uh, a lifestyle that includes healthy sleep habits and active rest, like uh, pursuing a hobby 
regular exercise, and regular routines of community activities like worship play a critical role in, uh, in healthy immune function, metabolism, memory and learning, attention span, decreased inflammation, stress reduction, decreased risk of depression, and an increased lifespan. If you believe that God designed us and that his word is designed to be a best direction for a, an abundant life and holistic health, then it should not surprise you that God commands us to rest, that it is built into us that we need rest, and that it also shouldn't surprise us that the fourth commandment, when you're, if you're reading the Ten Commandments, and it's in the book of Exodus, chapter 20, the fourth commandment is the first commandment that finds its justification or gives its explanation from creation. This is what you were designed for. It says, for in six days the Lord made heaven and earth, the sea and all that's in them, and rested on the seventh day. Therefore, the Lord blessed the Sabbath day and made it holy. God, we're shown in the creation story, rested when his work was done and took some time to enjoy the creation that he had made, to rest uh, from what he had done. He says in those passages, it is good. And we... Genesis says, are made in his image. We were made to be like him, to image him. And so from the earliest moments of creation, Hebrew scripture says that God ordained a pattern of uh, work and then rest, a pattern for humans of uh, reflecting God's image by living in a regular routine of rest after labor and then rest after labor. This was abundantly revolutionary in the time of the Exodus. When God gave the Ten Commandments, the pagan gods that uh, the, the people around Israel worshipped, no doubt certainly demanded labor without rest from the people and ceaseless offerings to secure favor. This was the routine, work harder, more sacrifice, more work, appease the gods. And it's not really that different today. Choose your idol, right? If it's, what, what are you looking for to say, this is what will justify me, this is what will give my life meaning, the purpose of my life is, if it's wealth, if it's beauty, if it's competitive youth soccer, if it's building a following on your Instagram feed, whatever it is, you'll find that you can never do enough. That you can never do enough to know that you're good enough to rest. That you can never do enough to rest secure that you have enough likes, that you have enough wealth, that you are beautiful enough in comparison to someone else. And so, how good is our God who commands us to rest? He designed us, he knows that we need it, and then he gives us the instruction to do so. And, and so in that sense, when you think about rest as imaging God and celebrating how good he is, we realize that Sabbath rest is about worship. It's about setting aside time to intentionally reflect on and celebrate how good our God is and how good his creation is. 
and how good it is to image him in creation. How good it is the way that he created us that we can do labor and we can be creative and we can uh, invent, but that we also need rest. And so Sabbath keeping is an act of worship. It's also an act of faith. Resting from labor is denying the temptation to believe that everything depends on me. I have to lay down and say, I am going to trust God to take care of things for a little bit. Choosing to believe that God will protect, that he will provide, that in fact, he will not leave me exposed if I'm not all hands on deck protecting myself. Songwriter uh, Josh Garrels puts it this way. He says, my rest is a weapon against the oppression of man's obsession to control things. And so Sabbath keeping is about worship. It's about walking by faith that God provides. And maybe unexpectedly, when we think about rest and Sabbath, when we look at the passage in Exodus, we realize that Sabbath rest is about justice. The fourth commandment goes on to say that it's not just a day for me to rest or for you to rest. It says, For you shall not do any work, you or your son or your daughter or your male servant or your female servant or your livestock or your sojourner who is within your gates. Bible teacher Jen Wilkins suggests that not all rest is Sabbath rest. She says, if my rest requires someone else to labor or someone else to wait on me, uh, to provide for me so that I can rest, that I might be enjoying the rest of leisure or the rest of privilege. And that's not necessarily or inherently wrong, but it's just not the same as Sabbath rest. Because Sabbath rest is resting in a way that gives others the same access to life-giving rest that they need. That, uh, that Sabbath rest is realizing that everyone is an image bearer of God and that they too were designed to labor and then to rest. And is there a way that in my resting I can require or require less of someone else that they might bear God's image as well? And so for you and for me, Sabbath keeping is about worship. It's about walking by faith that God would provide. And it's about justice. It's about uh, a day that's set aside for giving life and giving help to others who may not be able to gain rest for themselves. Part two, the Sabbath and the Pharisees. So like the rest of the Ten Commandments, uh, we, when we talk about the Ten Commandments, sometimes people will say the Ten Words um, or refer to God's, uh, God's instruction there as a rule of life. Uh, God gave us in his word this idea, this rule of life, a word to live by that would help us more fully bear the image of God. Uh, if you were able to design your life to keep these words, um, then you would be bearing God's image in the design that he made for you and living into life in a holistic way as he intended for you. This is the idea uh, that if we were actually able to keep the fourth commandment, we would live lives of less stress and less heart disease and less inflammation and on and on it goes. But the problem is, the problem with rules and human hearts 
is that it's always easier to enforce the letter of the law than to instill and pursue the purpose of the heart of God that's behind the word. And so, uh, sadly, we are seldom interested in the heart of God or the character of God that God wanted to put on display when he gave us this word of life. Instead, we're interested in the letter of the law. This is why teenagers do not go to youth group and ask, Dear youth pastor, how can I best magnify the beauty of sex in my life? They say, how far is too far? I want to go as far as I can and still be good. I want to get as much as I can. This is why we live in a world where there are tax attorneys and offshore bank accounts, right? Because our, the human heart does not naturally say, I have been given so much. How much do I owe to help everyone else? No, the human heart says, how much can I technically, legally keep for myself without getting in trouble? Right? Then I'm good. Then I'll know that I'm good. I want to know what the letter of the law is so that I can keep it. And this is the way that many of us approach God. It's the, asking the question, right? What's the minimum I have to do that, to know that I'm good with the Lord? And then I'm going to have the rest of you know, my life and my schedule and my money and my time and my day off for me. What do I need to do to justify myself? And that's how the Pharisees approached the Sabbath. Uh, if it said you should not work, then they needed specific definitions of what qualified as work and what didn't so that they could justify themselves and say, look at the definitions, I'm not working, and so that they could judge others and make sure that they were keeping the law better than others obviously according to their own definition. And so there is, if you look into extra-biblical literature, writings of rabbis at the time and so on, uh, there's all kinds of extra commentary and tradition that grew up around the keeping of the Sabbath to help assure that one was not working but actually resting. There's a, an extra-biblical work called the Mishnah, rabbinic writing that lists no fewer than 39 different kinds of work that are explicitly forbidden on the Sabbath. And on that list, included in the 39 uh, things you can't do on the Sabbath are reaping, threshing, winnowing, and preparing food. And even though, if you look in the book of Deuteronomy, I'll put it on the screen, Deuteronomy 23 says that it's not stealing if you're hungry and you go into your neighbor's field and pluck a few uh, heads of grain. You can have a snack. That's not theft. The Pharisees said that when Jesus' disciples picked some heads of grain, they were reaping. And that when they rubbed them together in their hands, they were threshing and winnowing. And that when they popped that snack into their mouth on the Sabbath day, they were preparing a meal. All of which is forbidden in the Mishnah if you're going to not work on the Sabbath day. And let's be clear, the Mishnah is extra rules added to the word of the Lord. These are the way that the Pharisees interpret the law. And so if you want to be good and want to be in good with the Pharisees, ironically, it's really hard work to rest on the Sabbath. The second episode that we read about this morning takes place in a synagogue. It's uh, where Jesus and his disciples have gone to worship. Why? 
because it's the Sabbath day, a day set aside for worship. And so whether it's, it's, whether it's an intentional setup by the Pharisees or just a coincidence, the Pharisees identify that there's a man there with a withered hand, and so they are watching and ready to pounce. They want to they see what Jesus will do because, you see, according to some of that rabbinic writing, again, we've got to be really clear about what work is and what work isn't. And according to that writing, routine medical care was work and forbidden on the Sabbath. You had to be dying to get care because that was an emergency. So uh, no visiting the doctor, but only calling the ambulance is allowed on the Sabbath. So uh, this man needed to be dying to get help. But withered hands, as we, I guess we all know, a withered hand will still be there on Monday when the workday starts. And so um, it says that they watched him to see whether he would heal on the Sabbath so that they might find a reason to accuse him because healing withered hands would be work, not keeping the Sabbath. Three observations about the Pharisees, three signs that you might observe here, um, and maybe as we look at our own hearts, to know if we might be trying to live by the letter of the law rather than pursuing the heart of God. Three signs that you, what you have might only be religion and not good news for anyone. Three signs that uh, you might be falling into legalism instead of living into the freedom of Christ. Number one, if keeping God's word has become a tiresome burden rather than a pathway to life, in this case, uh, making sure that you're resting right is such hard work that it needs to be policed by a whole group of people, right? Can that possibly be what God intended and invited us to when he said, when the, word, when the word says that he rested on the seventh day and made it holy. Could it be? B, if keeping God's word makes you more focused on yourself and your performance than on God, on his glory and on his love. From the get-go, these have been stories about the Pharisees comparing themselves to others and demanding that other people interpret and keep the law the same way that they do, demanding uh, and comparing their law keeping to the way Jesus kept the law and the way his disciples kept the law. The whole thing is not about finding the heart of the law. It's about justifying themselves and condemning Jesus. This is all about them. Third, when law keeping becomes a legitimate excuse to avoid showing mercy or the loving heart of God to someone in need. If our, if our religiosity seems like an excuse for injustice, we need to re-examine. We need, we need to re-examine our understanding of our faith. We need to re-examine our understanding of what justice is. We need to look at the scriptures and figure out how it could be. How could it be that God would give a law that would demand that we keep the law rather than bringing life and healing to someone else? Part three, Jesus, the Lord of the Sabbath. So Jesus could have done a couple of things, and he didn't do them. He could have said, come on, fellas, 
And I say that because only guys got to be Pharisees. Come on, fellas. Be serious. This is not reaping. It's just a couple of grains. This is not winnowing. They're, you know, they're rubbing these things in their hands. You are being too picky, right? Jesus could have argued the minutiae of the law with the Pharisees. He, he could have gotten down to the nitty-gritty about what constituted work and what didn't. Uh, he could have disputed the letter of the law with them, but he didn't do it. He wasn't interested in that, and he certainly wasn't interested in a rewarding that, that kind of interpretation of the law, that it's about the letter of the law rather than the heart of God. Uh, he could have said, it doesn't matter. Look, it doesn't matter. Uh, this is an Old Testament law, and I'm not sure if you've noticed, but I'm the Messiah. We're living in a New Testament world. And so this law uh, doesn't count anymore. It's no longer binding. But he doesn't say that either because that's not what Jesus believed. In fact, uh, he did not come, he says, to do away with God's moral law. You can find in Matthew 5, he says, I have not come to abolish the law, but to fulfill it. So Jesus is not wiping away the law. His responses force the Pharisees and us deeper towards the heart of God that's the reason that he gave the word of life in the first place. And so in the first encounter, rather than defending his disciples or disputing the law, he tells a story from the Old Testament. And in the second encounter, rather than giving instruction, he asks a question. Let's look. Here's the first story. You can read the whole story in 1 Samuel chapter 21, but the story is that King David... Uh, David, not yet king, but has been anointed as the next king of Israel. Um, he's on the run with some of his followers because King Saul uh, would rather kill David than give up the crown. And so David is on the run for his life. And as he and his men flee, they arrive at the tabernacle and ask for food because they don't have any provision. But uh, the priest informs them that there is no food in the tabernacle except the bread that is consecrated for God's purpose in worship. It was not to be eaten by anyone except those who had been anointed by God for his service. And the common understanding was that that meant only the priests could eat this bread. But Ahimelech, the priest, recognizes two things in this story from 1 Samuel. First, he recognizes that preserving the worship of God was pointless if he doesn't preserve people to worship God, right? These are men who are going to die if they don't eat. And so it's the right thing to do to give them something to eat. But second, the priest also recognizes that David was God's anointed king, that he was, by definition, one who had been consecrated to do the work of God, that in fact... This was exactly the sort of person that this bread had been set aside for. Those who had been set aside for the work of God. And this is the claim that Jesus makes about the Sabbath to the Pharisees. Not only was it meant to sustain and give life to worshipers, uh, rather than burden them with more work or make them go without, but Jesus is also saying that he is the reason the Sabbath was instituted in the first place. He says, the Son of Man is Lord of the Sabbath. And this is a colossal claim. Because every Pharisee knows that the Sabbath was instituted by God in creation. 
God patterned it after his own work and creation and rest on the sixth day. So to claim to be Lord of the Sabbath is more than claiming to have the right interpretation of the law of the Sabbath. It was a claim at being the lawgiver. He was saying, I am the creator. I'm the Lord of the Sabbath. In the second episode, Jesus pushes the same issue, and he, it says that he knew their thoughts, uh, that and so he says to a man with a withered hand, come and stand here in the midst of the synagogue. And then when he rose and stood there, Jesus said to them, I ask you, is it lawful on the Sabbath to do good or to do harm, to save life or to destroy it? So Jesus lays bare the implication of their legalistic rule following. Uh, there is no way that we should be able to keep the law of God, who scripture says is love, God is love, and come out saying to someone else in a worship service, I'm sorry, but today is not a day for helping people. It's a day for worship. Today is not a day for healing. Today is a day for, for worship. This is, as Jesus pushes the issue, this is not only an inadequate um, interpretation of the law, it actually is pushing Pharisees into immorality. This is an immoral interpretation of the law. Their legalism has taken a law that is explicit about its implication for justice and mercy and made it into a justification for withholding mercy and help from somebody. Their legalism was actually causing them to break the law rather than keep it. Using the law to justify ourselves and to judge, all, to judge others always has the same effect. When we justify ourselves by the law, when we use it to judge those around us, rather than producing love and humility and justice in our lives, it produces an attitude that's loveless. It produces a lifestyle that's merciless and sometimes cruel particularly to anyone who doesn't measure up to our interpretation of the law or measure up and keep the law the way that we decide to keep the law. Jesus is Lord of the Sabbath because he's the embodiment of the purpose of the Sabbath, to give life and to glorify God. And he says to the man with the withered hand, stretch out your hand. And it should be noted, this is something that this man could not do, stretch out his hand. But in the same way as God said, let there be light, and on the same, in the same way as he said, it is good, he said, stretch out your hand, and the man stretched out his hand, and it was healed. He did so, and his hand was restored. Kind of the elephant in the room, I guess, is the obvious difference is that since Jesus came, um, Christians don't celebrate the Sabbath on the seventh day. Right? The creation story says six days he labored, on the seventh he rested. And uh, we celebrate on Sunday, which is the first day, rather than the seventh. This is because Sunday is the day that Jesus, the Lord of the Sabbath, was raised from the dead. Demonstrating not only that he was Lord of the Sabbath, but that he was Lord of life, the victor over death. And uh, what's really interesting when you think about that is that's not just tradition, like, hey, let's celebrate, um, we'll do it on Sunday because that's Easter. 
even though that is what we do. But in some ways, by celebrating on Sunday, we celebrate that nothing has really changed since creation. Remember that on crea- in creation, God finished the work that he had set out to do, and then he rested. And in the defeat of death and sin, the work that Jesus came to do was done. He finished the work that he came to do after taking sin upon himself on the cross, after paying for our debt before God. Rising from the dead was the sign that Jesus was finished with his work, and now he could rest. Songwriter Andrew Peterson puts it this way, and I'll close with this. He's got a song called uh, His Heart Beats singing about the resurrection, and Andrew Peterson says this. He says, he took one breath and put death to death. Where is your sting, O grave? How grave is your defeat? I know, I know that his heart beats. And and then this, he says, he rises glorified in flesh, clothed in immortality, the firstborn from the dead. He rises and his work's already done. So he's resting as he rises to reclaim the bride he's won and his heart beats. And so crown him the Lord of life, crown him the Lord of love, crown him Lord of all. Friends, we've come this morning uh, to celebrate the Lord of the Sabbath. We've come to worship. Uh, Lord willing, we've come uh, to live by faith. Lord willing, uh, what we do here will result in justice and mercy and uh, the beauty of life lived uh, as God created it to be.